You want to know who God is? Read who he tells us he is. You want to know what he's about? You want to learn more about the character of God and the goodness of God? Read about it. You want to know more about what he wants for you in your life? Ask him and read about it. All scripture is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction. You see, in our need for growth, we all go astray, every one of us. And we need him constantly to pull us back in his grace and his goodness and his love and say, let me show you who I am. Let me show you what I'm about. Let me show you what I'm doing. Come back to me today. All scripture is good for reproof and for correction, for training in righteousness. You want to know how to become the kind of person you've always wanted to be? Ask the God who made you. You want to know how to become the the kind of person you've always hoped you could be that you're currently not? Ask the one who's able to put stars in the sky and trees in the mountains just with the sound of his voice. Ask him. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Today we conclude our series rooted, looking at the the secrets of spiritual growth. How do you and I grow to know this God better? How do we grow that we can not just know this God intellectually, but that it can change who we are and how we live and what we care about, and that it can change the things inside of us that are broken? Now, as we conclude today, I titled today's message, The Work of Waiting. You see, oftentimes we think waiting for growth or for change or for healing or whatever it is we're waiting for means sitting idly and doing nothing. But unfortunately, most of the time, waiting takes a lot more work than not waiting. You see, if we try to not wait and just rush into things on our own, it's easy to get preoccupied and busy and do lots of stuff that looks productive and healthy. But to actually experience the growth we need, we have to do the right work, the right things that are actually moving us in the right direction. And that work is often really difficult. And it's difficult because it doesn't come as naturally as the less productive stuff. So today, as we conclude, there are two other elements, secrets of growth that aren't really that secret. In fact, they should be common sense. But the problem is, if common sense were our currency, I think we'd all be broke. Because common sense is rarely, really not that common, right? We know these things to be true, and yet, they're not what we want to put into practice. So this first of the secrets of growth for today is that your growth in any area of life 
will take time. You guys have heard this, right? In, in the world around us, we say things all the time, like time heals all wounds. No, that's not true. If your leg is cut open and you don't get surgery or, or you don't get a doctor to take out the infection, like time is not gonna make that better, right? Time plus something might heal all wounds. If you're grieving a, a pain of the past, the bad pain we talked about last week, if you're grieving something you lost, that grief doesn't go away with time. But it does change. It does improve. It does become something different. See, if you and I want to grow with God, we need to recognize that growing with God requires time. Oftentimes we'll set out on a great endeavor. I want to know God more. I want to grow in faith. I want to change. I want, we have all these things we desire. And two weeks later, we get burned out. Why aren't they happening just yet? How hard do I have to work, God? Why won't this change in me? You ever been there before? I mean, every January, let's be honest, right? You ever set out to read the whole Bible in a year? Did you make it past January? What about February? I set out with five friends this year to read the whole Bible in a year together so we could each day comment and like uh, engage with each other about those, uh, those, or that day's readings. I confess to you today that of our Bible in a year reading plan, I should be on, uh, I think, 275 or something like that. And I am successfully on 112. So uh, there it is. You know, doing things over and over again sometimes gets really boring. We don't want to wait. We want instant gratification change right now. We want the growth we wish we had five years ago today. When the reality is it's actually coming later. Jesus, he talks about God's kingdom. And often when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, what he's referring to is the way in which God works in this world, the way in which he reigns as king over this world and rules and leads and guides. So whenever you're reading, especially in the Gospel of Matthew or Mark, the phrase the kingdom of God, think about it like this. God's working in this world is like this. Here's where we're going to look at. Mark chapter 4. This is where we will begin. God's working in this world is like this. And he, being Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus, he liked to speak in ways that were often a little bit confusing. Let me just give you a metaphor, a simile, something that you have to really work to figure out what is he saying. If I were Jesus, I certainly wouldn't have done it that way which is probably what good that it's, or that I'm not Jesus, right? Jesus, he says, look, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the way God works in this world, it's like a man who scatters seed and goes to bed. Then he wakes up in the morning and he goes to bed again. And he wakes up again and he goes to bed again and eventually, you know, it, something begins to grow. 
And then out of that growth comes more growth. And then eventually there's this ear. And then when that ear is ready to be harvested, then the man goes out and he harvests. Why? Why would Jesus say this is what God's working in this world is like? Well, because God is actively sowing seed all the time. Seeds of growth, places in you and I where he's like, I want to take hold and show you something better. He's throwing this out there. And you know what? It doesn't change overnight. I grew up in Nebraska and I had the privilege for one year of living on a farm. Uh, If you've ever lived on a farm, you know that the farmer's life is the most confusing life there is. Here's why. Because some days the farmer gets up before the sun rises and he visibly is working the whole day long and the sun goes down and he continues to work and he only has a few hours of sleep and he never stops to eat and it's go, go, go all day long. And other days it seems like he just, you know, kind of walks over to the barn and he tinkers with some tools and he goes over and he scatters some food for the chickens and he goes and does this thing. You're like, are you doing anything or just goofing around all day? If you've never met a farmer, this might be totally foreign to you. But, but farming is something that there's a lot of elements outside of your control. You can't control what pests might invade, though you can certainly do things to deter them. You can't control what weather might happen, but you can certainly prepare and say, if we have dry weather, how do I water my crops? If we have really wet weather, how do I keep them from flooding? As a farmer, you can't control whether or not the harvest will be plentiful. But you can control how faithfully you sowed seed. How much you made sure there weren't weeds. And everything was set just right so that there's the optimal condition for growth. Jesus, he says, look, the way God works in this world is like this. You just scatter a seed and you go to bed. And it just does its thing just works the way it's supposed to work. And when the time is right, then you, you pr- receive a harvest. But in the meantime, you wait. See, God is not sitting idle today. Like the farmer, you don't always see, you don't always recognize, why are you doing the things you're doing? Most farmers have a reason for why they do the things that don't seem to make any sense. Usually they know today's a slow day and I can't control the weather, but if I tinker with this tool, it'll be ready for me on the day when I need it, later. If I do something now for the time to come, when the time is right, I'll be prepared. God is not sitting idle in our lives even when we feel like he's not moving. He's actively doing things. If you've ever planted a garden, you know that when you plant the seeds, you don't have produce right away. In fact, you don't even know if the seeds lived for a few days. In my case, most of them don't. I seem to be really good at killing all of my garden plants. I think my wife successfully kept basil alive for like four months, and we were impressed. That was the best we've ever done, I think. But when you plant seeds, they need time to grow. When you and I are going through this endeavor of recognizing that there are things inside of us that are broken and are unhealthy and need healing, It will take time for that healing to come. Just wait. Now, this creed we declared 
that we heard spoken, we declare this God the Father who before all time was. Do you guys know that you and I were not actually made to wait? Like we weren't made for time. God is eternal, without beginning, without end, all of time. There is no time. But you and I, we are not eternal. We have a beginning and we will have an end. But we weren't made to have an end. Did you know that? See, in the beginning when God made man, he put us in the garden, man and woman. He created humans and we were made to be without time, eternally present with him. But when sin entered in, We needed something to separate us from eternity. Why? Because when we were in that place of brokenness, God was not content with us being in that place of brokenness indefinitely forevermore. So like when somebody is sick and we quarantine them to keep others safe, God created time for you and me. What we were supposed to have for all of eternity We have now a quarantined amount of time, a limited amount of time to keep eternity safe from the brokenness that you and I live in. This is really good news for you and I. You see, because when somebody goes into quarantine, the reason they go into quarantine is not so they can be isolated and die by themselves, but so they can find healing without making others sick, and in that healing, come out of quarantine to have the life they should have had the whole time. If you're not content with your growth, if you see that your life isn't moving forward in the rate you wish it would, recognize this, there will come a day when this quarantine of waiting is over and all of that healing and all of that growth and all of that change and all of that stuff you've been waiting for will happen. And for all the rest of eternity, like think about eternity, for all the rest of all time ever, you won't need to grow to overcome some of that hurt and pain and brokenness. You will be made perfect. But that harvest hasn't yet come, so now we wait. And while we wait like a farmer, we have to do work in the waiting. And this leads to the second thing I want us to think about today to help us grow. See, oftentimes we wonder, God, where are you? God, what do you want from me? God, why aren't things changing? We have all these questions of God, but we rarely stop to listen to him. God, what have you spoken? What are you saying? What are you doing today? Not only do we need to learn to wait and recognize that the growth you need won't happen immediately. It can, but it probably won't. We also need to recognize where will it come from. See, as the farmer fertilizes the field and he equips the field, he makes sure everything is set just so The things he can control are good so that the things he can't control he's prepared for. So too we do the same in the process of growth. We fertilize the field, we we prepare the soil, we do the waiting and the work of waiting. This is the second thing that should be common that for many of us is not. If we want to grow, we need God's word. Like you won't grow spiritually 
by some good will in your heart. You won't grow spiritually just by showing up here on Sunday morning. I mean, you will, hopefully, because hopefully you're getting God's word, but you're gonna be really minimally growing if that's the only bit of God's word that you get. See, God's word is really helpful for our growth. In 2 Timothy, we're gonna look at this for a little bit. 2 Timothy, Paul is writing a letter to a young man who's been tasked with being a pastor. It's called 2 Timothy because he's already written a first letter to the same man. Timothy was like a son to Paul and Paul is wanting Timothy to be equipped for all the hardships and all the challenges that are going to come his way. And he begins this letter, he writes about uh, all kinds of things. In chapter three, he writes about the challenge of godlessness. People who will have itching ears to hear whatever they want to hear, even if it's not true. He says, look, one of the challenges you're going to face is the people around you will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, and without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Thanks, Paul. Super encouraging, right? Like, hey, Timothy, I know the life you're going to lead. You're going to be surrounded by a lot of people who really royally suck. Have fun. No, that's not what Paul says. He warns about the challenges ahead, and then he says this, beginning in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystria, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. He says this, look, Timothy, you're not like everybody else. You're not like everybody else because you have chosen to follow me. Elsewhere, Paul, he writes, I wish you would all be like me as I am like Jesus. I wish you would be like me because when you become like me, what you're going to see is I'm actively striving to become like Jesus. Paul's not saying he's got it right. He's not saying he's figured it out. He's not saying he's perfect. In fact, he regularly says he is the worst of sinners. But he says to Timothy, look, you have followed me and imitated me. You know my lifestyle. You know this process of growth, how God brought me from hating Christians to being persecuted for being a Christian. You know this journey I've been on, which sets you apart from all the others. He continues, he talks about the challenge of persecution, the reality that there will be difficulty in the life of the Christian And then he says this in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, look, in all the hardships you're going to face and all the difficulties of trying to grow and trying to follow God and become who he made you to be and all of the things that will come against you, remember this, those sacred writings you've been acquainted with from your youth. 
What's Paul talking about? Well, he's talking quite clearly and directly about the Old Testament, the sacred writings of the church at the time. God's inspired word for man. Now later, obviously, there'd be some things added to this word, but I'll get there here in a moment. See, Timothy had an advantage that many of us don't have. Timothy grew up in a family. It says elsewhere, his grandmother poured into him over and over and over again. He grew up in a family that equipped him with this foundation of the sacred writings, of God's word for us. This foundation that showed him just how valuable God's word was in his everyday life. This foundation that showed him where God was in the midst of our struggle and our pain and our suffering and our waiting and our need for healing. But many of us today, we don't have that same advantage. We come from a family that maybe talked about Jesus, but marginally. Or we come from a church background where the word wasn't necessarily center, and when it was, it was often used to accuse and attack and condemn and not to point us to God, to Jesus. Many of us come from a background where we say, I just don't know anything about the word. Like, I can read the Old Testament, but it's so confusing. My son in kindergarten has to memorize the books of the Bible in order, and uh, I quickly realized he already knows them better than I do. I can tell you all the books of the Bible because I've been trained for that, Uh, but when you get to that section called the prophets, where there's like 12 or 15 books that are all really tiny and kind of sound the same to me, I often get confused what the order is, but my son can tell you, so if you want to know later, ask him. He'll sing you a song and teach you a song. See, Timothy had this advantage that many of us don't have, that he had people pouring into him from an early age to say, this word matters, and you need it in your life. But oftentimes, I think many of us, because we don't have that as a child, we fail to pursue it now. We say, well, I I just don't know the Bible very well, and that's why I don't read it. There's a lot of things I don't know very well, which is why you need to study it, right? Like, if you don't know how to do your job, you're not going to get better at your job by avoiding the people who know how to do your job. You're going to get better by seeking those people out and asking, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? I need to learn more of what's expected or required or asked or what is the culture of this environment. I need to learn more so that I can do what I'm called to do better. If you grew up in the church and the word of God has been central in your life, you have an advantage many people don't have. Don't squander it. And if you didn't grow up with that, You have an opportunity today many people never take. Today to begin to invest in his word and say, what is this book all about? You see, every major religion in the world, even minor religions, every form of faith has some kind of sacred writing, some kind of text they hold to as the means of knowing what they believe as a community what they subscribe to, what what kind of culture they're to live in, what kind of people they're to be. Every religion has them. But Christianity is kind of unique in our sacred writings. 
You see, for some religions, those sacred writings are just a collections of good, a collection of good teachings. They may or may not be fact in life, but they're really good teachings that if you just keep trying to know the teachings better, eventually your life will improve. Now for other uh, sacred writings, uh, they are something divinely given by God, literally his word spoken. Take the Quran, for example. The Quran is super holy for Muslim people. Because the Quran is the exact word of God spoken by God, recorded word for word by the the prophet Muhammad, as they say. And the Quran is only super powerful as the word of God if it's read or spoken or recited in its original language. And so for Muslims, even little children, to practice their faith well, they have to learn Arabic so that they can read the Quran in God's language, the language he gave to them. Or take Mormons, for example, their sacred writings, the Book of Mormon, they were super special, given to one man, because all the rest of the world had gone astray. And one man, Joseph Smith, he was special enough to receive these golden tablets, and he copied and translated them, and as soon as he finished translating them, God snatched them back to heaven so nobody else could see them. And we're just supposed to believe that's the word of God, because one man said so. But you see, our texts, our sacred writings are, are actually rather unique, Do you know the Bible was written by over 40 different people over a time span of over 1,500 years? Could you imagine co-writing a book with 39 other people over 1,500 years and somehow all being in agreement, all having the same main focus and the same main priority? See, part of what makes this word so unique for us is we don't believe God is absent, this distant God who speaks and says, so be it, and now I'm gone. Only those few elite special people get it, and nobody else trusts them. No, we believe that this word, part of what makes it so special is that God is involved in history, actively working through human life through our culture, and utilizing all of it to tie together one cohesive story, the story of his love and redemption for all of our brokenness. Paul, he continues, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In Greek, he actually uses a word here that doesn't occur anywhere else. We think Paul made it up, where he took the word for breathing and the word for God and he just smushed them together. As in like all scripture is something that comes from God himself in this very unique way. In the beginning, when God gave life, how did he do it? He breathed that life into man. 
When the Holy Spirit came upon them in the book of Acts, it came upon like a wind, and that same word for wind is the word for breath, like this movement of God's air into our lungs, giving us life. So look, this is scripture for us. The very life of God here. It's given by him and it's profitable for teaching. You want to know who God is? Read who he tells us he is. You want to know what he's about? You want to learn more about the character of God and the goodness of God? Read about it. You want to know more about what he wants for you in your life? Ask him and read about it. All scripture is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction. You see, in our need for growth, we all go astray, every one of us. And we need him constantly to pull us back in his grace and his goodness and his love and say, let me show you who I am. Let me show you what I'm about. Let me show you what I'm doing. Come back to me today. All scripture is good for reproof and for correction, for training and righteousness. You want to know how to become the kind of person you've always wanted to be? Ask the God who made you. You want to know how to become the the kind of person you've always hoped you could be that you're currently not? Ask the one who's able to put stars in the sky and trees in the mountains just with the sound of his voice. Ask him. Paul, he's writing to Timothy, says, there will be people who don't trust what God is doing. They don't like what God says. They're not comfortable with the things he speaks about who he is or what he's doing. But as for you, remember what you're acquainted with. Those sacred writings you've had from the beginning that all point us to Jesus, to make us wise for salvation, that through this word here, We constantly are pointed to a God who loves us and will redeem us. And in our waiting, he's actively working. So I want to give you four ways today that you can uh, begin to do the work of becoming acquainted with this word. Four ways. First, begin to practice daily devotions. Maybe some of you already do that. Maybe you don't. Now, I specifically said daily devotions because I don't think you need to begin to read your Bible every day. It's just as good if you listen to it, all right? Some of us, anybody in here hate reading or you're just not very good at it? Like, I don't, I'm I'm pretty good at it, but I just don't really enjoy it normally. But do you know God's word is just as beneficial if you just listen to it? And for free, you can download a, like, a hundred different versions of the Bible to listen to anywhere you're at on your phone if you have a smartphone. Begin practicing daily devotions, whether reading it or listening to it. And what does this look like? It means picking some kind of plan. I want to learn more about this and I'm gonna read about that. Maybe you just wanna know more about the Bible as a whole. So you could find a plan. There's hundreds of them out there. How do I read through or listen through the whole Bible in one year? If you do that, it's about three or four chapters every single day for the whole year. Or I want to learn more about the New Testament. Do you know you can do the whole New Testament in 90 days if you do four chapters a day? You could do that. 
Or maybe you just want to pick one book, and I'm going to read the same book. Like Ephesians has six chapters. I could read six chapters, you know, one every day of the week, and I'll just for the next year just keep reading the same book. It doesn't matter. But the more this word begins to be familiar to us, the more it begins to transform us. In fact, in Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, it says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've heard this verse a hundred times, maybe more. I've said it a few times. I was hiking this last week for uh, 52 miles. It was a wonderfully exhausting time. And while I was hiking one of the days, it was cold and wet and rainy. And I was just walking down the path. And this came to mind. Hey, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And I began to just think about that. God, what does it mean that your word lights my path? Well, it means that your word should show me where do I go from here? What do I do next? Where are you taking me? I can only know that if I'm in his word. I I can only see what he's showing me if my eyes are open to it. Your word is a lamp unto my path. So begin to be familiar with his word and maybe when you're hiking, it'll just come to your mind. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Maybe when you're out at work and you're stressed by your coworkers or your boss, something in his word will come to mind and give you peace. Begin to be familiar with it. So one, you can begin practicing daily devotions. This is hard work because if you're anything like me, there's a lot of things that will come up and distract you from your daily devotions. Like the emails you haven't responded to or the children who are needing something, always something, Or or maybe it'll just be you're tired and you don't want to get up. Or you're tired and don't want to do it before you go to bed. There's always a reason to not do the work that produces growth. But if we're waiting for God to do something in our life, don't wait passively. Do something. So begin with some daily devotion. Second, if you're super unfamiliar, like I don't understand what I'm reading. Like I've read it 20 times and it doesn't mean anything. Begin to study it. Studying is different than devotions. Devotions are just, I want to read it for the sake of kind of familiarizing myself with what's there. Study is really wanting to know in depth, what is this about? And there's a lot of ways you can study the word. You can study it with other people. I don't know if you know this, but there are people smarter than you and I in this world. And they've studied things far more in depth than you and I ever could. So let's read what other people have said, especially when it comes to the really confusing stuff in scripture, right? Some stuff's super easy. God so loved the world. Oh, cool. God loves us. But other stuff, like why would God do that or say that or expect that of me? And that gets really difficult. So let's ask others. We can study what the the church for 2,000 years has said about scripture. We can study scripture by looking at Well, what is the context that Paul's writing? Oh, he's writing a letter to Timothy. Oh, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. Well, who are the Jewish people? Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. Who are Pharisees? We can pick words we don't understand and dive in. What else does scripture say about those words that we can begin to connect the dots and go, oh, this makes a little more sense. We can ask other people, like texting in questions. I have no idea what this means. Can you help? I don't know, maybe. We can gather together in Bible study, literally for that purpose, to study the Bible. I want to learn more. 
There's a lot of ways we can study. And there's a lot of resources out there. So if you feel clueless, just ask. There's plenty out there. Next, the third thing here for you is you can begin to meditate on Scripture. Now, if you've never meditated, that comes with a weird connotation. Usually when we think about meditating, we think of people like, home, right? Like sitting there cross-legged, chanting some chant, some weird meditation. Or we think of some of the more new age meditation that's like, empty your mind, free yourself, become one with the universe. Like, ah, I have no idea what that means. But meditation simply means to stop and reflect on something. And to reflect on something for an ongoing period of time. So if you want to meditate on God's word, maybe you pick one verse like this one. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. God, what does that mean? How is your word a lamp unto my feet? Where is your word leading me? God, what are you trying to show me? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and yet I keep not putting a light bulb in it. Why? To meditate is to stop and to reflect. In Psalm chapter one, uh, the first Psalm in the book, it, it describes the life of the wicked and the sinner versus that of the righteous. And in verse two, it says this, the righteous, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. You see, if we want to be not like the wicked, but the righteous, we have to spend time focusing on what God says and letting it really dive deeper than just the surface level. So begin to practice some meditation. And it's really simple. Maybe you just come across one verse in your reading and you write that verse down and all day long you come back to it and say, what does this mean that I, my delight is in your law, God? Is my delight in your law? How does it become in your law? What is your law? And we just begin to reflect and ask God these questions. I guarantee if you begin to make a practice of meditating on scripture, not on this new age stuff or positive affirmations or any of these other meditations that are out there, just on scripture, you will grow in your faith and in your life. So practice daily devotions, maybe begin studying it with others or on your own, diving deeper than just what does it say, but what does this mean? Maybe begin to meditate, what does this mean for me today? And then the fourth one, maybe you and I need to practice memorizing. Like, I know, gut punch right there, right? Ah, oh, my memory's really terrible. I hate memory work. We remember all kinds of things. Like, but da 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 What is that? McDonald's. McDonald's, right? We remember all kinds of stuff, stupid stuff. It melts in your hand. I mean, your mouth, not in your hand, right? <laughs> melts in your mouth, not in your hand. What is that? M&M's, right? Actually, actually it's from um, um, Love It from Justin Timberlake. I didn't know that from Justin Timberlake. All right, how many of you remember who played the Gamecocks last night? And how many of you remember who won last night? Yeah, right? You can remember all kinds of things if you want to. 
but we often see scripture as something we don't need to, rem- to memorize. Why would I memorize it when it's on my phone? Yeah, but how often are you looking at it on your phone? Why would I memorize it when I can just open it up? Yeah, but how often is this collecting dust at home? To memorize it takes what God has spoken and internalizes it and changes it from just something we know to something we begin to experience. As I'm walking on this cold, rainy day, kind of miserable because my ankle is hurting and it's wet and I'm cold and I'm ready to be done, hey God, your word is a lamp unto my feet. God, I want you to be the one who guides me in life, not me. I don't want to try to do this on my own. I need your help today. Quite literally, my foot hurts. I need your help, God. See, when we memorize scripture, it begins to change us. I want to ask you this question as we finish here. If all scripture is breathed out by God, how important is it to you? See, if we want to grow, we have to do the work. And I don't mean that God's waiting for you to fix your mess before he's going to intervene. God's actively doing things now that you can't even see. But you'll begin to see them when you start listening to what he said to us. It's all God-breathed, inspired by him, that in this word we find his character and his life and our hope. I believe that when you and I begin to internalize God's word and listen to it and read it and study it and meditate on it and memorize it, it will change the way we see the world around us. And it will be a lot better. This is why today we're concluding with this, that if you want to grow, you need to be in God's word. If you're not in God's word, your growth, it might be good, but it's not great. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good. Your character is great. Your love is for us. God, you have knit this book together through 1,500 years of history to teach us about who you are and what you're doing. And God, to train us in righteousness that we can walk in your ways. And yet I confess I often ignore your word. I try to do it on my own. I try to act like I have the answers. I try to seek wisdom from all these other sources. Forgive me, Lord, and help each one of us begin to delight in your word, to guard ourselves by your word. May your word, which is living and active, begin to pierce through those places of brokenness that we've tried to keep hidden and begin to reveal the healing that you're pouring out. Thank you, God, for your gifts. These words written and spoken for us. May we trust them and live by them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to continue here with another song to sing. You're welcome to sing it or to listen to it and receive what you're hearing and and meditate on these lyrics and say, God, what are you saying to me today? As we do this, we're collecting an offering. If you came prepared to give via cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets when you leave. If you you prefer to give electronically, uh, you can do that at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little blue button in the bottom corner. 
however you give and whatever you give, know this, it's not so that God loves you more. It's because he already loves you. And if you're not ready to give anything today to support what God is doing through this place, that's okay. We won't care. And if you want to give something, thank you. All right, so this is the part of the service where we always respond to questions and do our best to, to address them. Um, before you start in with the questions from today, there were two that came in last week. Uh, one about do we all have guardian angels or not, and another one about what do we do with chronic pain. And I'm going to respond to both of those on Wednesday night at 6.30 on Facebook Live. So if that was your question or if you're curious about either of those, chime in then and I will possibly add an additional question uh, depending on what you have for me today. Sweet. We have three questions today, um, but the first one... Yep, three. Okay. Um, the first one's actually for the worship team. It said a few years ago, y'all had a bluegrass day, complete with a banjo twanging, and all the songs you played made me want to dance all day. <laughs> That's the best. What are the chances of another bluegrass day happening sometime soon? I think pretty high. Can we Generally, bring the accordion do, back? The accordion? Yeah, can we do that? That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Dinner? I showed up one Sunday morning, and the band is setting up the stage in the theater, and... There's this guy pulling out an accordion. It's like, what did I get into? And it was awesome. So, uh, yeah, let's bring that back. That well, was, that and was I was going to say, normally we do that on Thanksgiving weekend. So that's probably going to happen again this year or yeah. around then. In East Tennessee Thanksgiving. Exactly. Um, okay, so the next two are for you. <laughs> the first one is, if God is omniscient and omnipotent, and if the Torah is part of two religions... And if the Quran also features some of the same stories as in Genesis, how can each religion claim it is the only way? If God is all, how can humanity decide that he cannot speak to each individual slash group differently? Isn't that the arrogance of humanity? That's a great question. Uh, essentially, okay, there are three major world religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, that all stem from the same place but where they go from there are drastically different. Uh, is it arrogant to say that our answer is the only answer? No. In fact, if you're a Christian, it's not my words that say this is the only answer. It's Jesus' words. So either Jesus is super arrogant or he's right. And if he's super arrogant, he's probably not the guy we want dying for us on the cross. And if he's right, even if it's really hard to understand and to fathom, maybe we should trust him. Now, I will add the caveat to this. Some people use the fact that Jesus is the only way uh, as a reason to hate people who aren't Christian. And that is not in the Bible, I promise you. Um, so don't use the fact that Jesus is the only way as a reason to hate Jewish people or Muslims. No, we should actually love them all the more in the hopes that maybe they will see who Jesus really is. <laughs> you don't need to be a Protestant to find Jesus. That's very, very true. Yeah. Um, and one other thing to that question. Uh, if you want to know where this comes from, it's in the Bible. Uh, so all the way back in Genesis, God makes a promise to a guy named Abraham. And if you've never heard of Abraham, look him up. Genesis chapter 12, I think, is where he begins. Maybe 11, one of those two. And uh, 
Abraham has no kids and God makes a promise, I will make your descendants more numerous than the stars and I will bless them so that through them the entire world is blessed. And Abraham being super old starts to doubt this promise and so his wife is like, how about you just sleep with my, my servant and then you can have a kid through her. And he does and has this child named Ishmael and God actually promises that Ishmael will grow up to be a mighty nation at war with the descendant that God had promised Isaac, his other son. There's a reason why Muslims and Jewish people are at war and hate each other often. God said it would be so. So, Bummer, though. Yeah, bummer. Yeah, okay. And he also um, said there's hope for reconciliation in the end. So. <laughs> okay, that's important. Whew, good news. Okay, last question. Uh, what is a good Bible study you recommend, especially young adults? A good Bible study I recommend. Um, it's a great question. So I just recently, I, for those of you who grew up in a Lutheran church, you'll laugh at me. Um, if you didn't grow up in a Lutheran church, this might be foreign to you, but Lutherans put out this thing called portals of prayer. Yeah, you're laughing because you know they've been around for like a hundred years and I've never actually cracked one open. And every quarter they put out a new one and it's just a real simple short, like here's a few sections you should read of the Bible, a short little devotion and a prayer. And uh, I just recently cracked one open and they're kind of neat because they're a simple place to begin. So I would say that's a great place to start. Um, another thing is I also think it's really helpful to get a study Bible. So if you don't have one, there's a Lutheran study Bible that's got some really great content in there. There's an English standard version study Bible. Um, I can show you what it looks like that I have. Uh, that has some great content. And study Bibles usually have notes at the beginning of each book and then notes from various verses in the bottom. And those notes are to help you learn more about the context and the things surrounding it and even some of how it's been interpreted so that when you're reading that scripture can help make some sense. So if you don't have a study Bible, I recommend getting one. And that would be a place to begin, maybe just picking up a book like Matthew and starting to read through Matthew together as a group. Or Mark because it's shorter. And the NIV has an easy study Bible version too. I've never looked at that one, but I know they have it and it's easy to understand. So I would say portals of prayer are super simple. I can get you a copy if you'd like one. Uh, a study Bible is really helpful. And if you want more than that, I will help you find a good study to study more than that. All right? That's it. Those are the That's questions it. today. Cool. So Wednesday night, again, those two things we'll be talking about. Chronic pain, we're, what do we do with that? And uh, what about angels and guardian angels? Do we have them? So with that, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.